Welcome to the Marshan and Oran Sports Media Podcast. I'm Andrew Marshan, sports media columnist for the New York Post. He's John Oran, the media reporter for the Sports Business Journal. And this is week five. And John, the big get, Bob Costas. Bob Costas. And that was a big get. He was yeah, he, good. He was excellent. We taped it already. And you're going to hear it in a little bit. Uh, Costas was great. Some stories I'd never heard before. Uh, some jobs he almost had. Some, uh, some people who... Uh, tremendous Bob Euchre story, a job he almost took that he didn't take. Uh, just it, it, it's great. We, we think you're going to enjoy it. We were going to have Shaquille O'Neal on this week. We we're lining up costs hopefully for next week. He was gracious enough to come on this week. So he was the big get. And obviously he's an icon. Uh, we were going to have Shaquille O'Neal uh, tragedy uh, for Turner and their family uh, with Ernie Johnson's son, Michael Johnson, 33, uh, passing away. Uh, and so they asked if we could postpone Shaq for next week. And so obviously we were more than willing uh, to do that. And we wanted to send our condolences right away uh, to the Johnson family and everyone over at Turner as well. Yeah. The one thing uh, about Turner is they always talk about inside the NBA and how they're just a family and, uh, uh, and they operate as a family. And you can see it with this. Everybody's rallying around Ernie. That's why Shaq didn't uh, appear to, uh, on, on this week's episode. Um, and I just, you know, our condolences go out to not only Ernie, but to the whole uh, Turner team, which are they're going through through a tough time this week. Okay, next week, week six. So we'll have Shaq. You're going to be in New York again. Media innovators for Sports Business Journal. If you're interested in that, check that out on their website. If you want to be a part of that, that's Tuesday and Wednesday. And we'll be doing the pod. The pods every Wednesday comes out. So um, we really appreciate everyone listening and before we get started you got something john yeah the media innovators uh, i'm going to be interviewing uh john skipper burke magnus pete bavacqua sean mcmanus is gonna have, have a one-on-one interview there all the big people involved with sports media are going to be in new york uh, uh on tuesday and wednesday and it'll be worth getting to all right well let's start who's up who's down who's up who's down john i'm gonna have you go first this week who do you got up on the way up, Mike Mulvihill, an exe- uh, executive. Explain vice again. Again, John always goes to these people like you, you explain who he is. I know who he is, but that's for everyone. You know, and he does a great job, Fox, the whole thing. But give us uh, give us the back. Mulvihill, he, he's an executive vice president at, at Fox Sports. And I am going to give, yes, a faceless suit at Fox Sports. I'm going to give him credit for the Michigan State Michigan game that was on Fox. Did you see that number? 9.1 million viewers. It was the most watched college football game of the, uh, of the entire day. It was the most watched football ge- college football game in a full year, and it came in the noon window. Well, Mike Mulville, he was the executive who internally pushed the most at Fox to make a big deal out of that noon Saturday window. They developed a, pre- a pregame show around it. They scheduled its best games in that window, shifting games off of prime time into that window. And judging by the audience of Michigan, Michigan State, it's a strategy that's working. Big week for Fox because my who's up is Jay Glazer. Now, Glazer's, you know, one of these insider, he gets a lot of scoops. He doesn't get into the weeds as much with the daily transactions like a rap report or a Schefter and, and those guys, but he goes with for the, the bigger ones. But what he did on, on Sunday, we, you know, everyone tries to make sports always a little bit more than it is sometimes. Uh, and it can be a little bit sacrimonious, but this one was real. He had Lane Johnson on the offensive tackle for the Eagles, who's had depression and anxiety issues. Uh, and he talked about him freely and went uh, into detail about it. And then Glazer uh, also talked about his issues with um, depression and anxiety and his good buddy uh, on NFL Fox Sunday. Uh He didn't even know about Michael Strahan, didn't even know about it. They've been friends for a long time and and very close. Uh, And it's something that a lot of people keep inside. And I think when you see the panel on Fox after uh, the Howie Longs, the Terry Bradshaws um, and the whole crew, Strahan, Glazer, uh, tough guys, former, you know, Hall of Fame football players uh, talking about this. And I think they they reach some people out there, football fans, uh, people who want to you know, that facade of toughness where these things are real. Uh, they're like a physical injury, a mental injury where you have to deal with things. And I thought that was very important. And so uh, he gets my who's up. Yeah, such an important story just to, to shed light on, if nothing else. So I'm going to go now for a who's uh, on the way down. 
and I'm going to pick The Athletic. I'm a happy subscriber to The Athletic, but it's been well reported that they've been up for sale for, for more than a year now. The New York Times looked at it and backed out. Axios was uh, reported at, at looking at it and, and backed out. Now, just on Monday, Jessica Tunkov reported that DraftKings and FanDuel have actually submitted bids to buy The Athletic. She reported that The Athletic's trying to get about $750 million. Uh, the market for editorial, it's really good right now. Politico sold for about a billion dollars, but it looks like the athletic is going to have to take a smaller fee if it wants to complete a sale to somebody like DraftKings or, or, or FanDuel. And I, I have them on the way down because I don't think they're going to come close to that 750 million price tag that they have right now. Yeah. The, the thing when I look at that report, uh, number one, is I don't know if it makes sense to me with the gambling sites on the athletic because I think. You know, the Athletic has tried to get um, a bunch of really good sports writers, and they've made some good hires. Um, you know, I, I would think they—they they, you always want to be at the top of the field, and they have some of those people, not all of them, but uh, they have some, uh, and and that's been good. Uh, the one thing I don't really know if it meshes is with a gambling site. It feels like you subscribe to the Athletic. If you're not a person in the business, it's because you want coverage of a certain team, and it's a nicer experience in theory in terms of uh no ads um if you sell to one of these gambling sites i mean you're going to be in theory inundated with uh come-ons to, to bet and i'm not sure if that meshes uh the way i understand how the athletic is trying to uh position itself yeah and i i think that the way that a fan duel or DraftKings is taking a look at this has nothing to do with the content it has to do with the subscribers if you subscribe to the athletic you're a fan. Look how much money they're spending just to get people over to, to, to bet with, with either one of the, those uh, outfits. This, this, is a, this would be a play to just get a whole bunch of subscribers and be able to market to them and, and uh, get, get them to be betting on, on, on their platforms. Okay, my on the way down, Knicks radio, and specifically the Knicks. They are not traveling their radio team uh, to road games right now, which to me is ridiculous. Awful. And here's why. The Memphis Grizzlies are traveling. The New York Knicks are not. What an embarrassment for the Knicks. Uh, they, they've started off the season strong. It's ridiculous to me that they would not be courtside. Um, they're really, again, we I cannot be more respectful to the virus and taking precautions being unvaccinated, uh, I take precautions, but everyone is getting back to business uh, the way they are. The TV crews are all traveling. The fact that your radio crew is not traveling, that is an embarrassment to the Knicks if they want to, it's the New York Knicks. I mean, come on, bing bong, let's go. <laughs> you know, the, the Washington Wizards started the season four and one and NBC Sports Washington won't let the, the, the their their TV announcers travel to games, away games. They're calling them from Bethesda, Maryland. It's it's it it, it, it creates a worse environment for a viewer to watch because the, the announcers aren't at the game. It's it's simple. It's a, I think in in uh, right now where we are with the uh, with the virus, it's it's just it's a bad decision. It's a it's a money it's a dollars and cents decision that doesn't make sense anymore. And I'll say this: I've said this before. If you tell people what you're doing is not important, they will believe you. Now, you're going to say, well, they're going to, it's about the product on the court, and it is largely. But if you're telling people in the business and people listening that what you do is not important, they will listen eventually. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but over time, you're, you're devaluing your product. And I think um, it's crazy to me that uh, the Memphis Grizzlies are traveling and the New York Knicks are not. Bing bong. All right, we move to our topics. In a minute or two, we'll have the Bob Costas interview for you. But first, we're going to do- The big get. The big get. Bob Costas is tremendous. Uh, we have three topics for you. We're going to start with the NFL. Monday night football, the Mannings. All right, let me just tell you a personal thing first. Uh, I talked to Eli Manning last week for a story that was in my newsletter on Mondays in Sports Post Plus. You can subscribe. I give you about 2,000 words every Monday uh, morning in your inbox. Um, and I talked to Eli. And the thing that stuck out for me with Eli was, generally speaking, when I speak to people who are famous, you know, athletes specifically, I don't necessarily like them less, but I don't usually like them more. 
And after talking to Eli, I liked him more. He's very personable, very easy. We first were on the phone. That comes uh, across on screen, Andrew, too, exactly. I think. Exactly. He got like a package during like the first, when we first were talking, he had to take care of that. Just a normal dude. Uh, that show has been a success. So here's what we're getting to with the NFL. It's a copycat league, right? TV is a copycat uh, business. I personally don't know if this translates to everything else. I think Monday night is the perfect storm. The Mannings are the perfect storm. I'm not saying networks aren't going to try it, but like I don't see CBS and Fox doing uh, 10 different broadcasts every Sunday. Now, will they do a Nick uh, broadcast with uh, Noah Eagle and Nate Burleson and, and that crew again? Yeah, it was a great success, a one-off. You know, Maybe do a couple more of those, but not every week. Uh, or you know, ESPN is doing 10 weeks uh, with the Manning uh cast what do you think about that i think that the the mannings are unique to espn's monday night football monday night football has gone through how many years have they been just killed in the press killed on social media and they they developed this manning show and all of a sudden you're, you're seeing a lot less complaints about the the monday night crew i think it works it works well with them i don't see fox adding something to, to detract from uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, or I don't see NBC adding something to detract from uh, uh, Collinsworth and, and Al Michaels or Mike Tirico when, when, when he takes over. It is a copycat uh, a business. And so when, they, when other networks see something that works, they want to follow it. But I see more along the lines of what you mentioned, where CBS is going to use Nickelodeon as a way to, to attract a completely different audience as opposed to the audience that might be interested in, 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 in their, their bigger game. You saw Disney do it with Freeform as, as well. I mean, it, I, I don't see other networks trying to duplicate this because I, I see it as helping out a broadcast that, that had been going through, through a, a really rough patch for several years. And I see it as, as the, the Mannings, Peyton and Eli, as being almost unicorns in this business, people that 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 you that get good guests and that viewers are really connect to. Yeah, and I think it helps Levy, Greasy, and Riddick because there's just pressure taken off of them. And yes, people could argue they don't get the spotlight as as much, but I think that Monday Night Broadcast is a scrutinized, tough broadcast. Many times. Uh, in the past, they've gotten a little bit better schedule now, but many times in the past, they have not had as good a schedule. So you go into that game, you've had, you know, you've watched your team. Usually your team's not playing you've, you know, on Monday night. So you don't have really have a vested interest in the teams. Maybe you have some fantasy uh, football implications. Maybe you have a bet on the game, but you're really not as engaged as you are on other days. And so the broadcast became such a uh, lightning rod the Mannings take that pressure off because if it's a bad game and they're on, you go watch the Mannings and uh, the main crew of Levy, Riddick and Greasy, they don't necessarily have to fill that time. Now they're going to have to prove themselves. They want to do that Super Bowl uh, 26, 27, uh, but it, it does buy them some time to, to do well. Well, let's be honest too. The, the main crew still by far gets the most viewers. So more people are, are turning into the main main crew than to uh, than to the Manning cast. Uh, but but your, your point is, is taken because if you follow my Twitter feed, which I know is not real life, but all the people that would be killing the main cast on Twitter, they're all watching the, the Manning cast, according to my feed anyway. No doubt about it. Um, the two million people who watch uh, Manning cast, uh, 1.8 million are on Twitter. Um, so <laughs> I, think they might, I think they might do the ratings via Twitter. All right. Let's go to topic two. NBCSN is going to close down at the end of this calendar year. Uh, we've known that. You reported the exact date that it will be the last day of the year, uh, New Year's Eve. That will be it for NBCSN. So my question to John Orrin, who's been covering this stuff for a long time, NBCSN's legacy, success, not success, uh, total failure, uh, total success. What do you got? First, let me hype uh, that there was a report in yesterday's SBJ Media, Sports Business Journal Media, that I put out every Monday afternoon, uh, giving the exact date, December 31st, that NBCSN is going to go dark. You said that. How uh, much credit do you want? I just gave it to you. I, yeah, I had, to, I had to give the actual title in there. I don't want to hear from my bosses again. I mean, come on. All right, fine. All right. Success, or, story. success or failure? The, date, uh, the big date story. I mean, I, listen, it wasn't the Pentagon Papers. It was a good story. <laughs> I gave you credit. Hey, I need clicks. No, it was not a success. I, I, I don't see how they could think that it was a, a success. Uh, a, a network 
you know, it launched in 1995 as an outdoor life network. After a few years, it changed its name to OLN, then became Versus, then NBC Sports Network, finally NBCSN. Um, you know, it's had big, big rights deals, uh, signed a deal with the NHL, Tour de France, IndyCar, UFC. It had a good set of rights. But when Comcast bought NBC and NBC Sports took over the network, I thought the, the, the whole plan was that it was going to grow to be to rival ESPN. And the truth is it barely rivaled ESPN too, if that. Um, a nice run of high profile executives, Gavin Harvey, Jamie Davis, John Littner, they all ran it at, at one point or another, but it could never get to where ESPN is. And I, I just, I, I think that right now, you know, you have to consider it not a success. Okay, I'm gonna go the opposite. I'm gonna say not a, not a total success, but some success stories. I think when you look at how it built up uh, the Premier League, I think it when it became NBCSN after its OLN and versus days, and it it did um, it did co- become a place you looked for the NHL and the Tour de France. It kind of became an ESPN three type thing, maybe a ESPN two, maybe early days ESPN. I think challenging ESPN. I don't know why all these companies took so long to try to challenge ESPN, but by the time they got in the game, they really couldn't fully challenge ESPN unless they were going to spend money that they didn't have that ESPN did uh, by the barrel, you know, barrel load of, of cash that ESPN always has to outbid them on anything important. So I think it's a success because the reason you're not going to have it is because we're on to the next thing now in Peacock. And so they're going to, they want to have, you'll know this better than I will, the, you know, USA network gets more fees. So put the sports, the cable part of the sports on there and then try to get people to go to Peacock. So I just think it kind of ran out of time. So I got it as a moderate success. Uh, I, you know, I think that we generally agree. I I'm, I'm holding them at wanting to go after ESPN, but ESPN had a, uh, what was it? One, two, uh, two decade head start, and in, in yeah. terms of uh, in terms terms of getting the sports, and even before Peacock, I think that what what they're doing right now and seeding USA Network with so many sports, and essentially USA is going to become like the TNT of of, of cable. It's going to have you know uh, d- dedicated windows for you know Premier League um, soccer, for NASCAR races. Yeah. Uh, for, for, you know, there, there are a lot of sports that, that are heading over to, to, to USA. And the whole idea behind that is that, you know, if, you're, if you go to ESPN, you're a sports fan. If you go to USA, yeah, you, you could be watching entertainment and then you're going to sample the sports. It, it's, it's, an, it's, a, it's a possibility of expanding your audience a little bit. That's, that's long been sort of the, the reason that entertainment networks have, have looked to sports and uh, that sports leagues have looked to get on in entertainment networks and we'll see if it works. All right. That brings us to topic three. And we're going to go back to our discussion. You called me an idiot last week. Mm-hmm. Amazon. Is it one of the biggest stories in sports media? I said, definitely. Uh, Twitter spoke. Everyone was on my side. Nobody thought you were right. <laughs> I didn't see one person who thought you were right. Everybody was team Martian as rich Greenfield said, I, I didn't see. Do you have one person who was, who agreed with you? none of my people like to go on the record. You know that they all talk to me on background. So we just want to, before we get the cost we just want to finish up, go back to this. Okay. So I got inundated Marchand. I got inundated with texts, with calls like, Oh, Marchand, he should stick to covering talent. I mean, come on. So I, I would say with the Amazon stuff is that the, the essence of this discussion as we, this will, you know, this will probably be a thread throughout the uh, uh, podcast, but the essence of it is that, they have the NFL. You discount that as if the, for the next 13 years, 12, 13 years, they're going to have the NFL. You discount that. That's like a, not a big deal because Thursday night's not the best night of the week when you don't get entry into the NFL doing the Super Bowl, you get entry at the lowest level. And so Amazon's going to be a humongous story going forward. Thursday night, not only is not the best night of the week, it's the worst night of the week. for uh, uh, Amazon last year had, a, uh, had an exclusive game that had playoff implications at the end of the season. And it brought like, I think it was like the second lowest audience of, of the NFL season uh, to, to that game. The NHL uh, rights were up. It was not interested. The MLB rights were up. It was not interested. 
Big Ten rights are coming up. It, you know, it, it, it's not really they, they don't appear to be interested. If they're going to be a big player in sports media, they have to play in sports media. And getting a, a Thursday night football package to me do, doesn't do that. They could end up uh, signing the Sunday Sunday for Sunday ticket as well. That still to me is like there, there are more sports out there than the NFL. But that, that's where the, well, they have Premier League around the world. Uh, they have major tennis tournaments. It grow, It takes time to get these rights, especially in the United States. And here's what you're missing in our little argument here, okay? And I'm going to make a Twitter poll of this. You did some nice Twitter polls this week about uh, Joe Buck and, and the future of Fox Broadcasting uh, on baseball. I'm going to put a Twitter poll out there. Who's right? The thing that you're missing about this argument, if it's going to be a big story, I, in part, get to control the narrative. So I can write about Amazon all the time and it'll be a big story. So there you go. So I'm going to, I'm going to tip the scales towards us, but it's correct. It's, you know, feel free. Everyone out there who covers this stuff, don't write about Amazon. Leave it to me. I'm more than willing to be the one who's really writing about Amazon all the time there. I have it at 92%. They're going to get Al Michaels, Al Michaels, not big time. Wait, is this the 50 year old Al Michaels or the 77 year old Al Michaels? Yeah, he's still Al Michaels. He's still well, very. If, if, if they're going to have it for the next 11 years, I mean, what, like, why yeah, don't you build up your own person? 11, but you're, you know what? That prime video first year is, is like I said, not, not done. 92% Al Michaels. That's pretty good to start with Al Michaels. Um, regardless, yes, he's going to be, I think, 70, 76, 77. Granted, yeah, he's, he's an older man, but he's still great at what he does. And he gives you that credibility. So we will agree to disagree and we will continue with that. Look for the Twitter poll uh, when you're done listening to this podcast or watching this on YouTube. All right. I can't wait to get to Casas. Let's go. Okay, John, our big get for this week is Bob Costas. The big get. Back on the record with Bob Costas will conclude its first season on HBO and HBO Max on Friday, November 12th at 11 p.m. Bob, you've done the Olympics, the World Series, Super Bowls. You hosted your own late night talk show. Now, the pinnacle, you're on the Marchand and Oran Sports Media Podcast. Yeah, this pretty much is uh, the cherry on top. And I don't know where I go from here. So this may be my valedictory appearance. <laughs> you never thought it could happen, but here you are. All right, let's start with your career. Uh, we go back. You graduated, I think, in the early 70s in Syracuse, 74. I never graduated. I never, never graduated. Never claimed I did. Left. <laughs> Left 12 credits short, was all set to enroll in the fall of 1974. My class would have graduated in the spring. I cut back my credits because I was uh, already broadcasting on WSYR in Syracuse, doing hockey games on the radio and weekend fill-in stuff on the sports uh, and the weather sometimes, believe it or not. So I was going to go back and enroll, but then I got the job uh, on KMOX in St. Louis as the announcer for the Spirits of St. Louis of the ABA. So I did what any new house department student would have done at Syracuse. I up and left. Yeah. So they, they still considered an alum, I believe. Yeah. Oh, the, do, do they ever consider me an alum? They gave me a, an honorary doctorate. You know, they, it's, it's, it's all, it's all good. So I left 12 credit shy, as I sometimes say, or as the athletic department puts it, Phi Beta Kappa. Now we, we go back and you look at your whole career and you turn 70 in March. When you when, when you look back and you say the proudest the thing you're most proud of in your career what is that Maybe the single best thing I ever did maybe was the later show in the late 1980s to the mid 90s and I'm not entitled to many regrets as fortunate as I have been but leaving that show when I did I had good reason but in retrospect I couldn't still be doing it today but I could have done it another five or six years. Uh, it was very enjoyable. It has a new life now on YouTube. I hear from people all the time uh, who call and say, I was just watching you with Dennis Hopper. And I have to think for a second, was this a seance? Because sadly, Dennis has been gone for a while. Oh, yeah, 1991, whatever it might have been. And I think it brought to bear a lot of the qualities I'd like to think I had uh, at my best. But at that time, my children were seven and four. And I was commuting between St. Louis and New York and NBC Sports had the Olympics about to get baseball back. The NBA on NBC in the Jordan era was a big deal. Um, I was still in, in part. Uh, it, it was a reduced part, but I was still part of their NFL coverage. It was a lot of stuff and something I felt had to come off the plate. And there was a lot of research 
that went into later. Uh, four shows a week. Sometimes we tape all four in a single day so I could get back on the plane and spend part of the week in St. Louis. So uh, that that is A, something I'm very proud of, and B, one of my few regrets that I left it as early as I did. So, Bob, a different topic. Um, yeah. Looking, Pat, uh, over your career, who was your favorite athlete that you covered? That I covered? You know, Michael Jordan's an easy one. Um, he was so he was so transcendent. And that era of the NBA, which includes the dream team, and it isn't just limited to the six Bulls championships that Jordan was at the center of, the whole constellation of stars around the NBA at that time, and no disrespect at all to the way it's covered now. Mike Green and company are great on ESPN. Ernie Johnson and crew, that's the best studio show in the history of American sports television. It's all good. But those games were on NBC. They were central to the cultural conversation. The promos were on Johnny Carson and David Letterman and on the Today Show uh, and whatnot. So it was just more central. It had a great buzz around it. So an easy answer is Michael Jordan. Um, Being a baseball guy, uh, I loved Ichiro Suzuki because he played a throwback style in a bludgeon ball era. Every game was 10 to 8, and this guy was slapping hits to the opposite field and dropping bunts and just doing all kinds of throwback things. And Ozzie Smith was a guy, uh, there's a St. Louis bias here, but it's some people like magic Johnson is an example. They're not just good, but they remind you of what you like about it. They exude joy and happiness and that transmits to the audience. So those are a couple. Let's go to the other end of this uh, spectrum. Then who are some of the most difficult ones that you covered? You know, network sports broadcasters are fortunate. We don't get the worst of it, usually. Um, there are separate set-asides. We're not part of the scrum, usually. We, we get the, the athletes or the coaches one-on-one. Um, so I've really had a 99.9% positive experience in that respect. The worst interview subjects, John, aren't the ones that are contentious. They're the ones that are boring or have nothing to say. The ones that are monosyllabic. Uh, I did have, and I'm not going to use a name here because it all just becomes clickbait and it's removed from the context of the conversation we're having here. But I did have one uh, during the time that I was covering when I was hosting uh, Sunday Night Football on NBC. And I would do a couple of interviews each Saturday that would air during the pregame show on Sunday. And I did have one player who arrived not wanting to do it and began giving these answers that were not just, not just unusable in terms of being boring, but they were disrespectful. And finally, I just said to this guy, look, I'm at least as good at what I do as you are at what you do. And this is unprofessional and disrespectful. And there are people besides myself in this room who endeavored to make this look right for television. They're doing their job. If you didn't want to do this, you shouldn't have said you were going to do it. And we're done now. And I just got up. And, and he said, well, I thought some of, the, some of the questions were kind of preschool. And I didn't really unload on him by telling him, I've interviewed hundreds of people, much more interesting and probably a lot smarter than you. And I just said, well, given your petulance, if anyone would understand a preschool attitude, you'd probably be the guy. Now, Bob, you sure you don't want to go viral? I certainly don't. <laughs> I that certainly don't. By the way, by the way is, clickbait is fine with us. This is, yeah, it is, but not with me. And this is one of the things that actually, I'm I'm being serious now. This is one of the drawbacks of the modern media landscape. People who are inclined not to promote themselves, but because they're respectful of colleagues like yourselves, or they want to have a a conversation about a topic of interest, you've got to be doubly careful now, because no matter how nuanced and contextual what you say is, if you have any sort of prominence, there's a damn good chance that it's going to be lifted out of context, that the headline will distort the actual content of, uh, of the conversation, and that only this little tiny bit will be part of it. And then people who should know better, but they've long since you know, entered this morass of what the internet is, they will comment with complete authority <laughs> on this snippet, this distorted snippet of what you said. And pretty soon, we're in a high-tech version of the old kindergarten game of telephone, where A is there was a cat in the tree, 
And then by the time you get to Z, the firemen saved the cat, but then burned the cat alive. I'm always asked to give advice to, you know, young broadcasters or people in, 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 that are just getting started in the business. Like, what, what's your go-to piece of advice to them, Bob? Well, it's the same general advice I've been giving for decades. Get as well-rounded an education as you possibly can. Um, you cannot learn to be a broadcaster in a classroom. You have to do it hands-on. There are many intelligent people willing to work hard who just don't have the knack of being a broadcaster. They're just not that facile. They don't have whatever that particular peculiar skill is. But the only way to find out about that is to do it and develop it over time. But at the same time, the better read you are, the more you've paid attention to things outside your particular goal when you're 20 years old to be a sports broadcaster, the better sports broadcaster you will be if in, if in fact you achieve that goal. Reading expands your frame of reference. It expands your appreciation of language. Uh, look at the best on-air essays, even if you have to go back in time to find the Jack Whitakers and the Jim McKay's, or to look at what someone like Tom Verducci often does on the air now. That appreciation of language, I, I think, gets you in the direction at least that I would like to see you go. Now, if you're, if you're measuring your success, as too many people in this business do now, by how many Twitter followers you have, then disregard everything I just said. And do you, um, when you look back at your career, was there a time, you are very well-rounded, you've been contributors to NBC News, that you could have transitioned full-time, done either a news show or news talk show? Was that ever something that was presented to you and you could have done? And what was your thinking? Yeah, well, later, which was created by Dick Ebersole and Brandon Tartikoff, was that maybe 5% of the guests, if that, were sports guests, and the rest were across a whole spectrum uh, of life stories. But since you asked, I never mentioned this for 20, 30 years, but I have mentioned it a couple of times because I've been asked, and I guess it's far enough in the rearview mirror that it's not a, a news item. But when David Letterman left NBC after Jay Leno, got The Tonight Show rather than David, and went to CBS, part of the deal was that he controlled the hour after his, that Worldwide Pants would produce the hour after his, and later had followed David Letterman's show, and I had been a frequent guest with David, and he and I had a good relationship, and he offered me that hour after his, um, which eventually went to Tom Snyder when I declined, and to sweeten the pot, CBS offered me a correspondence uh, spot on 60 Minutes. So I would have done the hour after David Letterman and been a correspondent on 60 Minutes. And there were, it was very, very tempting. And at a different crossroads in my life, I undoubtedly would have done it. But at that time, as I mentioned earlier, uh, NBC had a treasure trove of sports riches. I had a very close relationship with Dick Ebersole. And another factor was the ages of my kids, seven and four at that time, roughly, or eight and five, and the commuting between St. Louis and New York. And as corny as it sounds, you know, you can say to a little kid, hey, want to go to the ball game? You know, we'll, we'll stand by the batting cage. We'll say hi to Ozzie Smith. Want to go to the Bulls game? Well, we'll watch Michael Jordan. Or let's everybody go to the Olympics. A little harder uh, to have a kid's, uh, you know, attitude perk up when you say, I'm interviewing the secretary of state. Want to come <laughs> along? So that, that was actually part of the decision. Bob, you've worked with so many great people. I'm not going to ask you to name one, but, but if you look back of your career and you say, this is the person I had the most fun with, maybe it's going out to eat. Maybe it was just being on set. Who is someone who just sticks out when you, when you tell stories at a party that just this guy was just something else or a woman. I'm going to call it a tie okay. between Ahmad Rashad and Bob Uecker. Uh, Ahmad is first of all, a very underrated broadcaster. Athletes respond to him. He's a very close friend of Michael Jordan. His role, Ahmad's role was never the same as mine. It wasn't the same as Marv Alberts. It wasn't the same as Bryant Gumbel's. It was a different role and he did it exceedingly well. And I don't think he gets full credit for how facile he is as a broadcaster. So that's A, but I just enjoyed his company. I think we clicked on the set. I, I wish I saw him more. Our paths don't cross 
as much as they once did. We occasionally text or, or speak on the phone, but he's just a wonderful guy and a measure of our friendship. And it really meant a lot to me. He was overseas. I forget where. I think he might have been in France or something. And he landed in New York on the morning of the ceremony where I entered the broadcast wing, broadcaster's wing of the Baseball Hall of Fame uh, in 2018. And he hopped on another plane. He wasn't expected. He hopped on another plane. And it isn't easy to get to Cooperstown. There's no direct flight. You got to fly to Syracuse or Albany and then drive. Uh, and he showed up that day, which meant the world to me. But also, if you saw Ahmad, now this is baseball. It's not the NFL. People forget he was a terrific NFL player. It's not the NBA, which he's associated with. When he's standing in the plaque gallery at the Hall of Fame and Ken Griffey Jr. wants a picture with him, this guy exudes star power. And he's just a, a very, very nice guy to spend time with. The other is Bob Euchre. As funny as Bob Euchre has been over the years on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson or the little quips he manages when he's broadcasting a ball game, he's even funnier than that when he doesn't have to censor himself. Um, Norm MacDonald, the late, great Norm MacDonald, got in trouble and got on the wrong side of Bob Euchre because he didn't respect the code. Uh, and he went on, David Letterman, later Howard Stern, uh, and talked about some of the things that Uke says <laughs> when he thinks he's not on the air. And they are all hysterically funny, but it's in that sort of old school context of boys will be boys type thing. And what, what Uke does, and it's beyond belief, if you're in the booth with him and he knows you, likes you, trusts you, he will do parallel broadcasts simultaneously. <laughs> He'll use the cough button. He'll call the play, then hit the cough button and have some hysterical aside that he could never say on the air. So it's, well, here's John Doe, popular former MVP, checks in hitting 302, fat, overrated SOB, swinging a foul back to the screen. <laughs> and, and I say, Yuke, Yuke, you know, you do this a hundred times. What if you miss the button? What if the signal gets scrapped? Ah, what are they going to do? Put me in broadcasting jail? I've lasted this long. I'm 80 years old. Who cares? That's great. That's amazing and crazy at the same time. Right. It's right. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I never broke the code. What I just told you is okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it takes, Norm, we, Norman it takes, Artie Lang yeah. broke the code. God, and it takes unbelievable talent to be able to do that. That's a skill. Yeah, here's no the thing kidding. about it. Okay, people know how funny he is, Mr. Baseball and the whole thing. Um, he was on Johnny Carson like 75 times. Um, but even if he was never funny, he's a damn good baseball announcer. And now he's 87 years old. And if you hear highlights on the MLB network, on the Quick Pitch show, where they kind of have a compilation of all the games and they mix radio calls and television calls, he sounds just the same as he did 20 years ago. He's a marvel. Bob, final question. Turn mm. the tables on Marchand and me. What should we be doing better or differently in terms of how we cover the business? No compliments either. Don't, don't say like we yeah, do a job. We're not looking for compliments. We, I, I think we want to hear what people who cover it like us, what they should be doing. Like what, what, what is the, um, you know, if sports, People come yeah. stuff, were they missing? You know, I don't think either one of you are guilty of this. Um, but in general, uh, I'll fall back on the same word. I'd like more context and more appreciation of the craft. But Andrew, you're a reporter. And I'm not just saying this because I'm on with you. You're a reporter. You break stories. You cover the industry. But you also seem to have an understanding and appreciation of the craft. There are too many people that are concerned with hot takes and what provides clickbait. Uh, and by the way, this is not a get off my lawn thing. I would have said the same thing when I was 30 years old. And you know, I just always have had an appreciation of, of, um, of quality. And, and it's, hard to, it's hard to look at little snippets as representing quality. Uh, but I'm not talking about you and John in this case. Uh, get back to me. I'm going to give this some thought. And about a half an hour from now, I will send you a detailed critique of all of your short points. They just don't <laughs> Sounds good. You, know, you might need more than a half an hour, I think, but uh, to, to get them all. Uh, 
Listen, the show. Uh, hey, I know one. I know one. I'll just this is for you, Andrew. Okay. Everybody knows this. From the beginning of time, newspaper guys 100 years ago were telling aggrieved subjects this. I don't write the headline. And I know you don't write the headline. Okay, but you and I have been through this before. I'm on the phone with you for 20 minutes. I give you my thoughts on something. And then some bozo in some other department writes, writes a headline designed to grab the eyeballs of some dope. And, and I'm stuck with it. And here's my, who is my favorite one. MLB and Costas salivating over new playoff format. When I had just told you, and your story reflected it, hey, it's inevitable that they'll expand the playoffs. I just hope they come up with a thoughtful format, which is not necessarily the first or even the second one that's presented. We should talk it through. But is it coming? Yes. And are there appealing ways to do it? Yes, I think so. That's what I told you, correct? It was, but I, but I could feel your frothing at the mouth. Uh, <laughs> almost almost salivating i'm sure yeah uh well you know what they want people to read i'm gonna <laughs> but yes listen i covered the mets and the paper of record in the clubhouse this is back in 2000 2001 was the new york post and my good buddy and i know you you're you're friendly with him as well the uh great columnist for the new york times tyler kepner at that yes. point the, the times had about a million subs we were probably at 500 who knows five hundred thousand. And I always wanted to say more people are reading his paper. Go look at his headlines, not ours, but that was the paper. And that Daily News, well, a little less than the Post, of course, but what, those are the paper of records. And I tried not to say, uh, I don't write the headlines to all these players who, you know, when Ricky Henderson's mad at you, it's a little more intimidating than you, Bob, uh, is, um, but, uh, but yes, that is a common criticism. And it's, a, it's a fair one at times because sometimes... Uh, the headlines can be a little stronger than perhaps the articles. But uh, okay. you know what? This reminds me. My first job um, that I got paid for was calling minor league hockey in Syracuse for 30 bucks a game and $5 a day meal money on the road in the old Eastern Hockey League, which is the league that the Paul Newman movie Slapshot is based on. And I knew a lot of the guys who were extras in the movie and the character uh Ogie Oglethorpe in Slapshot is based on Bill Harpo Goldthorpe, the most penalized and most arrested in all likelihood man in the history of hockey who was a a Syracuse Blazer. All right. So it was not Goldthorpe in this case, but another player had been penalized for something or other. And I was actually, as the hometown broadcaster, 21 years old, trying to plead his case. And I said something like, well, if he could contort his body that way and be guilty of what he is now sitting in the penalty box for, he should quit hockey and join the circus. All right. Now, a few days later, we're on the bus going to Johnstown or someplace or other, Lewiston, Maine, for a game in the same high school hockey rink where Muhammad Ali had knocked Sonny Liston out in their second fight in 1965. And this player confronts me. He says, hey, my girlfriend says you called me a clown. No, 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 no. You, as you know, whether it's the readership, but especially on the air, because it's not right in front of you, the wives, the girlfriends, the friends, they're getting it third and fourth hand. And a lot of times they're getting it wrong. So you're defending or explaining something you never wrote or you never said. Yeah, I, I've learned to say, did you read this very quickly? Right. And then once that kind of diffuses a little bit, uh, and generally speaking, they do. Uh, have it wrong. The show is back on the record with Bob Costas. It's on HBO and HBO Max. Comes back. Final show is November 12th at 11 p.m. Bob, it's always a pleasure uh, to talk with you. And uh, this was great. Uh, Hopefully we can do it again. And uh, we really appreciate your time. Thank you, guys. Now, you told me beforehand, we go 10, 15 minutes. Quick, punchy answer. (laughs) I have difficulty clearing my throat in 10 or 15 minutes. So I hope you're happy with what you got. Yeah, well, we, like, I'm not doing it over. Yeah, we well, the thing is, we did start right. John and I started it was going to be called uh, what was it six and a half good, pretty good minutes, and you know, kind of an homage to uh, to PTI's five good minutes. Um, right. Had Scott Van Pelt on. We went half an hour, cut it down. Then we had Jimmy Pitar on, and we then we we went you know thirty minutes. So uh, it's the big get, and it's we'll the figure. big get now. Now it's no longer we're no longer putting a <laughs> we're, number. We're on listening. It. We're trying to make it so it's 
listen, you were great. So it so it, it will make it so people are listening to obviously us talking now. It, it was tremendous. So uh, good content, good content, as you know. So we appreciate it very much. There you have. Oh, you mean we were live? <laughs> <laughs> You're new. Oh listen, God! If you, if, Bob, if you had graduated from Syracuse, you might have realized what's going on here. You're right. You're right. I'd have a better grasp of the basic dynamics of broadcasting if I'd only finished up those 12 credits. Exactly. exactly. You know how miserable we would be live? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, we're very heavily we're no, Bob, you Thank you very much. You know, Andrew, Andrew, I'd like to compliment your lighting director. What are you in the federal witness? Protection oh, yeah. Program? You know, like, I had the blinds closed. Now, now we're back. Um, <laughs> you know, listen. The podcast stuff, Bob, I'm going to give you a little, uh, you know, a little note on the business. You want it to be a little like, you don't want it to be so professional. So we're, we're, really, right. we're, we're really digging. We're, the, we're not professional. We're both right. writers. It needs to be more raw. Let me do that again. Here you go. Up oh, on YouTube. There you go. Oh, all right. All right. Well, thank you, Bob. Later. Thanks, Bob. Andrew, that was fantastic. What a professional broadcaster Costas is. I, the one thing that stuck with me is... He's a, a professional storyteller, of course, a great storyteller. But his memory recall, he was telling stories from 1974 and 75 just as easily as he was from the last couple of years. Yeah, I think when you talk about sports casting careers, uh, you could argue he's had the greatest one of all time. He's definitely in the conversation at the least uh, and maybe the best ever, the amount of Olympics he's done, the World Series, uh, um, the Super Bowl uh, pregame shows. Look, I don't think it's different than like kind of comparing athletes because a lot of it is just luck in terms of where you work and when they get the rights. So in terms of tonnage, but just uh, he he's very, he's so versatile. Um, you know, I think host wise, you can't you know hosting Olympics, you basically can't get better. Play by play is very good. Is he the best ever? No, but he's very very good. Uh, his and then the ability to do late night and that great story about uh, being almost going to CBS uh, and, and, and following a letterman uh, the show that went to Tom Snyder. And then one of my personal favorites, Craig Kilborn eventually hosted that one. Uh, that was tremendous. So uh, it was a pleasure to have Costas on. Uh, and next week we'll have Shaquille O'Neal, uh, which the I'm big, looking forward yes, to. Yes. Big, get, big get. That's how we, we got to the big get. Call of the week. All right, call of the week. What do you got? All right, Andrew, I live in D.C. You live in New York. So neither of us really listen to Jerry Remy, uh, a Nesson analyst for Red Sox games. But Red Sox Nation loved Remy, who died of cancer over the weekend. And this call from April 2007 describes a moment caught on camera when one fan in Fenway Park threw a piece of pizza at another. Guys? Between innings, we did some investigative reporting on who uh, and what was thrown at that gentleman and that gentleman has been ejected but it was an ugly ugly sight and I don't know why it was necessary now watch I can't circle I don't have my telestrator today but why here comes a pizza see it <laughs> oh jeez highly unnecessary guy with the Patriots jacket and of course he's been asked to leave the ball game for ruining a good piece of pizza <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, beer all over and here it goes. <laughs> some pizza. Look, I reached out to a couple of Red Sox fans, ESPN's Mike Soltis, the Boston Globe's Chad Finn, and they both su suggested that clip. Soltis said fans love Remy because he came off as a fan with a sense of humor. And Finn said that he had what, what he said, quote, an incredible knack for being incisive when the moment was big, but also knowing when to play along with the absurd. But then Finn said something that really demonstrated why Remy was such a good analyst. He just said simply, I'll really miss him. And that to me describes a kind of connection that every announcer strives for, but only the best get. So RIP, Jerry Remy. hundred um, percent. And everyone who knew him, like who knew him personally really liked him. Which, and, I, and I care more about how you are off the air uh, when people aren't watching than, than how you are on the air. And, and he seemed like uh, Rem Dog, as everyone called him. Uh, in Boston, uh, was just a tremendous person as well. All right, my call of the week, I'm going to the NHL and ESPN. And one of the things that I always think about is when you do a sport or when you cover something, that passion shines through. If you're passionate about what you're doing, uh, it, it comes through in your voice, 
and how you approach your job. John Bucci Gross has been at ESPN a long time. When the NHL was lost, he stuck around. He's done college hockey uh, with ESPN getting the NHL back. Now he's doing play-by-play regularly. And he was doing uh, the game the other day, and it was a block party. And what I want you to notice about this clip is just the passion of a fan that comes out, which is what makes it a, just a delicious call. From the point, rips it and blocked and down goes Ernie. He's stunned. Panthers control again. Aronic, nice hit in the corner. That room shot. Another block. Oh, Ernie, crash test dummy. One timer. Another block. Down goes Fabry. And Fabry again. Shot saved. The Dalkovich. What is happening? Pucks in front. It is loose. To the corner. What crazy action. Shot. Block shot again. And the broken stick. Montour saved the Delkovich. That's the craziest sequence I've ever seen. All right, and, and the reason I like it, again, just it's the passion that he has and the fun that he's had. And the, the, the fan, you have that scene when you're watching that sequence uh, and you're listening to it. That's what you want. Uh, and, and Bucci Gross did a tremendous job. Uh, the one thing is, if you follow Bucci Gross on Twitter, uh, he's got this new thing where he rates everyone's chicken parm. And it seems like the guy eats chicken parm every night. <laughs> I'm a little worried about his health. Uh, I mean, I love, I love chicken parm. That might be my favorite thing to eat. But every night um, is a, uh, you're, you're asking, I, I don't know what his cholesterol is going to be, but, uh, but excitement level for chicken parm and for hockey. Good job, John Bucci Gross. Yeah, that call just felt like 15 years without hockey just coming out in, in, in one sequence. That, that, that was a lot of fun to hear. And I, I, the excitement just comes through the screen, which is, again, all, all you can ask for in an announcer. All right, so that's week five. Look, you found us. You got into the end of the podcast. We appreciate you listening. Uh, you know, if you don't find us on uh, Apple or on Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, you also can watch us. You want to see us. You want to see Costas. He's a nice studio um, that uh, out west uh, at his home. Uh, you, can, you can watch. Out west. St. Louis isn't the west. St. Louis is a midwest. No, no, I think he's in the, nah, you might be wrong about that. I know he mentioned St. Louis. I don't think he lives in St. Louis now. I think he's overlooking the uh, Pacific Ocean. I oh, could be wrong okay. about that. but uh, There you go. I have All to right. check on that i believe he's overlooking the pacific ocean um so costas you want to watch costas you can see that you can subscribe to the sports business journal uh john has a newsletter every uh, monday night uh, and he also breaks stories all the time i have my newsletter every monday morning uh with uh new york post sports plus uh, that comes out monday morning and then i'm i'm free online you can buy the paper as well um and so we really appreciate you uh, we've had some really nice reaction uh, to the pod. And so, uh, you know, join us next week when we're scheduled to have Shaquille O'Neal. The big gets, the big get. Please subscribe and like. Yeah, oh yeah, that helps the reviews help too. Thanks guys. <laughs>